Section one of the Macdermots of Ballycloran. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bob Newfeld. The Macdermots of Ballycloran by Anthony Trollope. Section one. Ballycloran House as first seen by the author. In the autumn, 1840, business took me into the west of Ireland, and, amongst other places, to the quiet little village of Drumsna, which is in the province of Connaught, County Leitrim, about seventy-two miles west-northwest of Dublin, on the mail-coach road to Sligo. I reached the little inn there in the morning by the said mail, my purpose being to leave it late in the evening by the day-coach. And as my business was but of short duration, I was left, after an early dinner, to amuse myself. Now, in such a situation, to take a walk is all the brightest man can do, and the dullest always does the same. There is a kind of gratification in seeing what one has never seen before, be it ever so little worth seeing, and the gratification is the greater if the chances be that one will never see it again. Now, Drumsna stands on a bend in the Shannon. The street leads down to a bridge, passing over which one finds oneself in the county Roscommon, and the road runs by the well-wooded domain of Sir G. K. Moreover, there is a beautiful little hill, from which the domain, river, bridge, and village can all be seen, and what further agreements than these could be wanted to make a pretty walk? But, alas, I knew not of their existence then one cannot ask the maid at an inn to show one where to find the beauties of nature. So, trusting to myself, I went directly away from river, woods, and all, along as dusty, ugly, and disagreeable a road as is to be found in any county in Ireland. After proceeding a mile or so, taking two or three turns to look for improvement, I began to perceive evident signs on the part of the road of retrograding into laneism. The county had evidently deserted it, and though made for cars and coaches, its traffic appeared to be now confined to donkeys, carrying turf home from the bog, in double kishes on their back. Presently the fragments of a bridge presented themselves, but they were too utterly fallen away from their palmy days and in their present state afforded but indifferent stepping-stones over a bog-stream which ran, or rather crept, across the road. These, however, I luckily traversed, and was rewarded by finding a broken-down entrance to a kind of wood on the right hand. In Ireland, particularly in the poorer parts, to rank among which County Leitrim has a right which will not be disputed, a few trees together are always the recognized sign of a domain, of a gentleman's seat, or the place where a gentleman's seat has been, and I directly knew that this must be a domain. But, ah, how impoverished, if one might judge from outward appearances! Two brick pillars, from which the outside plaster had peeled off and the coping fallen, gave evidence of former gates. The space was closed up with a loose-built wall, but on the outer side of each post was a little well-worn footpath, made of soft bog mould. 
I, of course, could not resist such temptation, and entered the domain. The road was nearly covered with that short dry grass which stones seemed to throw up, when no longer polished by the wealthier portion of man or brute kind. About thirty feet from the gap a tall fir had half fallen and lay across the road, so that a man should stoop to walk under it. It was a perfect barrier to any equipage, however humble, and the roots had nearly refixed themselves in their reversed position, showing that the tree had evidently been in that fallen state for years. The usual story, thought I, of Connaught gentlemen, an extravagant landlord, reckless tenants, debt, embarrassment, despair, and ruin. Well, I walked up the deserted avenue, and very shortly found myself in front of the house. Oh, what a picture of misery, of useless expenditure, unfinished pretense, and premature decay! The house was two stories high, with large stone steps up to the front door, with four windows in the lower and six in the upper story, and an area with kitchens, etc., below. The entire roof was off. One could see the rotting joists and beams, some fallen, some falling, the rest ready to fall, like the skeleton of a felon left to rot on an open gibbet. The stone steps had nearly dropped through into the area the rails of which had been wrenched up. The knocker was still on the door, a large modern lion-headed knocker, but half the door was gone. On creeping to the door-sill I found about six feet of the floor of the hall gone also, stolen for firewood. But the jousts of the flooring were there, and the whitewash of the wall showed that but a few, a very few years back, the house had been inhabited. I leaped across the gulf, at great risk of falling into the cellar, and reached the bottom of the stairs. Here my courage failed me. All that was left was so damp and so rotten, so much had been gradually taken away, that I did not dare to go up. The doors on the ground floor would not open, the ceiling above me was all gone, and I could see the threatening timbers of the roof which seemed only hanging till they had an opportunity of injuring some one by their fall. I crept out of the demi-door again, and down the ruined steps, and walked round the mansion. Not only was there not a pane of glass in the hole, but the window frames were all gone. Everything that wanted keeping was gone, everything that required care to preserve it had perished. Time had not touched it, Time had evidently not yet had leisure to do his work. He is sure, but slow. Ruin works fast enough unaided, where once he puts his foot. Time would have pulled down the chimneys. Ruin had taken off the slates. Time would have bulged the walls. Ruin brought in the rain, rotted the timbers, and assisted the thieves. Poor old Time will have but little left him at Ballycloran. The gardens had been large. Half were now covered by rubbish heaps, and the other half consisted of potato patches, and round the outhouses I saw clustering a lot of those wretched cabins which the poor Irish build against a deserted wall, when they can find one, as jackdaws do their nests in a superannuated chimney. In the front there had been, I presume, a tolerably spacious lawn, with a drive through it, surrounded on all sides, except towards the house, by thick trees. 
the trees remained but the lawn the drive and the flower patches which of course once existed there were now all alike equally prolific in large brown dock weeds and sorrels there were two or three narrow footpaths through and across the space up to the cabins behind the house but other marks of humanity were there none a large ash apparently cut down years ago with the branches still on it was stretched somewhat out of the wood on this i sat lighted a cigar and meditated on this characteristic specimen of irish life the sun was setting beautifully behind the trees and its imperfect light through the foliage gave the unnatural ruin a still stronger appearance of death and decay and brought into my mind thoughts of the wrong oppression misery and despair to which some one had been subjected by what i saw before me i had not been long seated when four or five ragged boys and girls came through the wood driving a lot of geese along one of the paths when they saw me they all came up and stood round me as if wondering what i could be i could learn nothing from them the very poor irish children will never speak to you but a middle-aged man soon followed them he told me the place was called ballycloran he did not know who it belonged to a gentleman in dublin received the rents and a very stiff gentleman he was too and hard it was upon them to pay two pound tin an acre for the garden there and that half covered with the old house and the bricks and the rubbish only on behalf of the bog that was convenient and plenty of the timber though that was rotten and elegant outhouses for the pigs and the geese and the old bricks of the wall were good manure for the praties this in all my farming i had never dreamt of but times was very hard on the poor the praties being ninepence a stone at carrick all last summer god help the poor the creatures for the gentlemen their real friends that should be couldn't help themselves now let alone others and so on now speaking of his sorrow and poverty and again discanting on the elegance of his abode i could only learn that a family called the mcdermots had lived there some six or seven years back that they were an unfortunate people he had heard tell but he had not been in the country then and it was a bloody story etc 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 the evening was drawing on and the time for my coach to come was fast approaching so i was obliged to leave ballycloran unsatisfied as to its history and to return to drumsna here i had no time to make further inquiries as mr hartley's servants always keep their time and very shortly the four horses clattered down the hill into the village i got up behind for mcsee the guard was an old friend of mine and after the usual salutations and strapping of portmanteaus and shifting down into places as mcsee knows everything i began to ask him if he knew anything of a place called ballycloran deed then sir and i do said he and good reason have i to know and well i knew those that lived in it ruined and black and desolate as ballycloran is now and between drumsna and boyle he gave me the heads of the following story and reader if i thought it would ever be your good fortune to hear the history of ballycloran from the guard of the boyle coach i would recommend you to get it from him 
and shut my book forthwith. End of section one. Ballycloran House as first seen by the author.